0: Scottish Wild Food Festival A Positive Alternative Over 6,000 of you read last week's newsletter If you're new here, then welcome Pull up a chair, make yourselves comfortable You find me eternally fireside Carving out space in which to ponder To consider To disrupt My name's Anya and I'm a recovering food activist. I'm writing to make sense of my life and work. I'm writing so that the truth of my experience is made visible. I'm writing to find my way back to myself. Last weekend, I was asked to give a talk at the Wild Food Festival, an event that celebrates Scotland's wild and foraged food culture. They're relatively new. Based at Tiernanogue, a holistic centre and small cafe about 30 minutes outside of Glasgow. The asking felt serendipitous. I was keen to be off grid, otherwise occupied, not doom scrolling other festivals. In Irish mythology, Anya was Queen of the Fairies. She lived on Tiernanogue, a disappearing island where the old gods still reside. The real-world version is a beautiful house set amongst a rambling tangle of forest. The stable block has recently been renovated to create a cafe and treatment rooms. Activities take place mostly outside or in any number of yurts and field kitchens dotted around the site. They welcome 600 people over two days the programme encourages visitors to celebrate Scotland's native food culture, venison and game, smoked fish and shellfish, mushrooms, whisky, local herbs and spices. We made hedgerow soap, crabapple preserves and learnt the secrets of sea buckthorns. There was spoon carving and charcoal making, mushroom walks, wild women's circles and a handful of feasts fellas carrying stories and songs popped up in random clearings. I was never far away from a poem, or a kid whittling a spoon, or climbing a tree, or learning to play the Bahrain. It would be easy to gush about how wonderful it all was. Of course I'm going to say it was great, I have a vested interest. And yet, it genuinely felt like something was occurring. I saw the ripple of last week's newsletter. I'm slowly getting more comfortable with the process. I get mad anxiety before publishing, feel generally sick about putting them out there, but once they're gone, it's like a weight's been lifted. Something is set free. I feel lighter. Last week, significantly so. I watched it land, felt the silence saw the women it caused a sleepless night for, had the decency to feel sorry about that. I still care about all of them, even if the feeling isn't mutual. (laughs) I've noticed that it doesn't much matter what the newsletter says. People have a tendency to absorb headlines. Criticism of any kind is viewed as an attack. Being positive seemingly matters more than emotional honesty or meaningful change. I do understand, however, it isn't reasonable of me to expect the heart of the UK hospitality establishment to get where I'm currently coming from. Asking them to get on board is a psychological step too far. So what is my position? Am I simply venting my frustration at the culinary patriarchy, angrily attacking the structural wealth and inequality that negatively impacted my career? Am I just full of piss and vinegar and looking for someone to blame? Well, no, not really. That would be far too simple. My talk in Scotland was entitled Eating Well on a Planet in Turmoil, the remit to discuss how to build secure regenerative food economies in a post-Brexit climate emergency. It went a little something like this. Current structure. Brexit and Covid changed everything. As I wrote back in January, normal is not coming back. We are clinging to the remnants of an outdated story, a narrative of positive patriarchal imperialism. Our democracy has been co-opted by neoliberalist economic philosophy, which prioritises the accumulation of wealth and the protection of structural inequality above all else. Our systems of governance are increasingly out of balance with the needs of the people and planet they claim to represent. Yet they have little interest in evolving or changing. Why should they? They have been extremely successful at achieving exactly what they were designed to do. In healthy functional ecosystems, organic communities must adapt in response to changes in their environment, fail to do so and they die. We are not the exception. Our inability to grow and develop beyond an immature and outdated cultural identity puts our entire societal future at risk. We are urgently in need of a new collective story. I no longer believe that change will come from existing structures of power and governance at all. Our economic systems are corrupted to such an extent even those with the best of intentions end up locked in a never-ending battle with the status quo. Eventually, fighting for change becomes too hard, too exhausting. We either burn out and stop, or we enjoy recognition and success and so become co-opted into the mainstream. To achieve significant and substantial reform, we are going to have to live through collapse. Living with what's coming. The climate crisis is going to cause the largest mass migration of people that we have ever known. We are going to live through, sorry, we are already living through widespread collapse and societal upheaval. This is not my personal opinion, not some vague debatable possibility. It is simply the truth based on current IPPC reports mainstream, conventionally acceptable scientific fact. Getting my head around the real world implications of what it actually means for my life and my children was a contributing factor in my mental health collapsing. I understand why we're collectively struggling. The implications are vast and we have been taught to believe that change is frightening. The pandemic reminded me that I'm pretty good in a crisis. I knew how to organise, how to mobilise, how to make sure people got fed. It was reopening that almost killed me. The return to normal is where I started unravelling. We allowed no space for grief or mourning, no healthy emotional processing of our trauma, no honouring of our dead, no meaningful celebration of those who'd sacrificed everything. Just a speedy return to how it was before, only shitter. I wanted to run screaming through the streets. Are we all so asleep? Can't you see what is happening? Covid was not a one-off short-term health event. It was the Western world's first significant experience of the immediate and incoming climate crisis. As long as we continue to exploit and disrupt our ecological systems, there will only be more and worse. The way I see it, we have only two possibilities left left available to us. World world governments can act immediately to empower and mobilise the largest movement of active global citizenship we've ever seen. We have a great reset a moratorium, we revision a globally connected society living in ecological balance with the planet it depends on, we reconsider what it means to be human, rethink every aspect of our lives and then get busy, we actively cooperate to transition towards something new. We reconnect our communities, rebuild our soils, re-educate our societies or we live through the trauma of uncontrolled societal breakdown, mass climate migration and the collapse of all the systems we currently depend on. The unravelling has already begun. It's not a question of if, merely how fast the unique possibility of food. Well, that all sounds very depressing, I hear you say. Should I just jump off a cliff right now? Great question, thanks for asking. In short, no, the planet needs you. People are going to need you. But what can any of us actually do when the scope and scale of these issues feels so vast What can we individually do to make a difference? Do food. To steal a phrase from the Slow Food founder Carlo Petrini, everybody must eat. Eating is an inclusive democratic act. Note I said eating and not access. Everybody. Regardless of status or ethnicity, background or position requires access to a reliable, safe, nutritious supply of food. No food, no us. Hoarding wealth is all well and good, but it's not going to matter a bean when there's nothing left to spend it on. Food is the great connector. The link between people and the land, our stomachs and the soil. Unlike carbon which we know we must sequester, but which we can't see or taste or smell, food has a direct physiological impact on our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our relationships. It can nourish and comfort, welcome and include, inspire and invigorate. It is an equalising and participative tool through which we can model and experience A radical societal alternative, a different sort of community. I don't much care if it sounds naive or idealistic. Change food and you change everything. Active food citizens. We need to stop waiting for someone to save us. Help is not coming. Our existing systems of governance are far too wedded to the way things already are. Plus, they're old and archaic and any meaningful change will only happen slowly. We have run out of time. In the absence of meaningful government leadership, it is down to each of us to simply start building what's necessary Each individual, family, community, business and city or region can start to take action in spite of what's happening in Westminster. That is where the possibility of real change lives. We treat toxic patriarchy like the needy toddler it is. We ignore and disengage. We no longer reward a government that is failing us with the benefit of our time and attention. Connection with food means a connection to the soil and the seasons, the land and the people you live near. You experience the interconnectedness of things, the importance of coexistence, the benefits of collaborative, symbiotic relationships. Grow food and you understand the monumental effort that goes into producing it. You value it, you are less likely to waste it or throw it away. Active food citizens are independent, self reliant, not beholden to a global capitalism to provide the nourishment our children and communities require. We become autonomous, independent, less easy to control. Food more than anything. Is the tool available to us if we are to emotionally engage in the cultural and psychological shift needed to reconnect people to the planet? So what role for food festivals? I'm beginning to understand that I was just in the wrong job. It's not really anybody's fault. I was trying to run a mainstream foodie festival when what I really wanted to do was wade around in the thick, sticky mud of profound societal and psychological change. I want to figure out how we tell a story of hope and possibility and potential so powerful it calls us to fundamentally reassess our role as humans inhabiting the earth. No wonder they thought I was a bit much. Even now, I still hear Freddie Bird's voice in the back of my mind, fuck off, Anya, we're just trying to have a nice time. So here's what I noticed about Scotland. Every activity that made up the programme was skills-led. Every talk, workshop, walk or masterclass took as its starting point the desire to teach practical food skills, to exchange and impart knowledge, I'm not saying no chef demos, but I am saying no chef demos where predominantly male chefs showcase little but their own ego, creating six-course restaurant menus that nobody else can do or is ever going to try at home. Nobody learns anything from those sorts of demos. It's food as a spectator sport. And maybe that's fine. Maybe most food festivals have no interest in being anything else. But for me personally... It just no longer sits right. Two years delivering food boxes to asylum seeking households changed something. I feel food events have a collective responsibility to be about more than overconsumption. As curators of creative content, we're in the unique position to influence the way people think and feel and connect. We can choose to use the power and privilege of our position more widely. The Powerful Potential of UK Hospitality. I'm going to write a lot more about the potential of UK hospitality to help drive the change that's so desperately needed, but it's a huge great topic and I've run out of time. I do just want to say this. I don't hate anybody, (laughs) especially not the chefs, restaurants or organisations that I'm perceived to currently be railing against. Not even close. I appreciate that this writing hits differently because it's coming from me. I was supposed to be one of them, part of the establishment, convener of the core clique. Sometimes it's because you love something so much that you can talk about how dysfunctional you see it to be. I have watched chefs and business owners, people I have love and respect for, kill themselves in order to survive the last three years. It has cost them their sanity and savings, their staff and their relationships. I have watched grown men cry as they crumbled under the pressure, spent too many sleepless nights thinking I should have done more. Now, more than ever, they are profoundly in the ship. Many, sorry, most, have no idea if they'll survive until spring. And yet, the hospitality industry has a substantial and significant role to play in driving the change that is needed. Community food projects can only dream of commanding the money, resources, and reach that restaurants and food media enjoy. It's time we revision what a pub or restaurant can be, not just as capitalist enterprises simply selling product to consumer, but as community hubs and education spaces, drivers of local food economies, and passionate advocates for communities of farmers and local food producers. We need to stop viewing food and hospitality as separate to issues around food security, access and environmental change. If we could just make the space to step back, to take a breath, to consider an alternative approach, we could maybe, just maybe... Identify solutions that deliver for local communities whilst also injecting some hope and longevity into an industry significantly in peril. Back in Scotland, work is done and the crowds head home. Crew and guests wander down the valley and gather at the crooked tavern. The bar is open, fires are lit, a harmonica, guitar and bahrain magically appear. Songs float on the cool night air. Summer is rapidly descending into autumn. Up at the big house, an old king is dying. Round the fire his young prince grieves. We honour a man that most of us have never met. We say his name again, then again, and again. Grief hangs heavy in the air. Nobody moves to calm or silence it. Here, it feels, there is a space for the emotional truth of things. Messy imperfection sits comfortably alongside the evening's joyous revelries. After three weeks not drinking, I fall off my sober pony. Someone produces a handmade venison salami, dark and gamey, spiked with thick, glossy squares of pork fat. A bottle of cask-aged whiskey is passed around. Sobriety feels rude in the context. We sing rebel songs in English and Gaelic. Depression took my voice away. It is slowly finding its way back to me. In the wee small hours, I wind my way through the woods, back up the hill, to bed. My soul is full. There is fire in my belly. I am reminded that I have a Celtic heart. There is a seed of something here, a space where maybe I might belong.